We're going to begin a new series this morning, and uh, I just uh, know it's going to be a blessing, but I predict it's going to be very convicting, (laughs) because we're going to talk about the tongue, and if you don't offend with your tongue, then you are a perfect person. Last time I checked, none of us are that, so taming the tongue, the keys to controlling our words. Mary Ann Bird wrote a short story, a short testimony, really. When I read it, I couldn't help but be in touch. Mary Ann Bird was born with multiple birth defects. Suffered not only because of her physical impairments, but just the emotional trauma of being different from others. She writes this story, and she calls it the whisper test. I grew up knowing I was different and hated it. I was born with a cleft palate, and when I started school, my classmates made it clear to me how I looked to others. A little girl with a crooked lip and nose, lopsided teeth, and garbled speech. When my schoolmates asked, what happened to your lip? I'd tell them I fell on it and a piece of glass cut it. Somehow it seemed more acceptable to have suffered an accident than to be born different. I was convinced that no one outside my family could ever love me. There was, however, a teacher in the second grade whom we all adored. Mrs. Leonard was her name. She was short round and very happy lady. Annually, we had a hearing test. Mrs. Leonard gave the test to everyone in the class, and finally it was my turn. I knew from past years that we would stand against the door, we would cover one ear, and the teacher sitting at her desk would whisper something. We would have to repeat it back. Things like, the sky is blue, or do you have new shoes on? I waited there for those words, but the words she spoke that day were words from God. God must have done this because those seven words changed my life. Mrs. Leonard said in a whisper, I wish you were my little girl. I wish you were my little girl. Seven words changed the course of her life. Oh, the power of the tongue. Father's Day is always a wonderful time of the year, and I think we all enjoy uh, spending time uh, doting on our fathers and getting doted upon. It's a beautiful time, but for some, of course, it's an emotionally challenging time, maybe their father's not alive, or perhaps the memories of their dad isn't so good. We had one brother in the church, I remember he shared with me, and he really struggled, honestly, and he had done some stupid things. But he said he always struggled with Father's Day because of what his dad used to call him. And I said, what was that? He said, my dad used to call me stupid. 
You know, words are prophecies. They have powerful effects on those around us. Some for good, oftentimes not. It's no wonder the Bible talks so much about words. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs 12, verse 18, there is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is healing, or the word health. There's been a lot of talk over the last few months about what possible motives for all these mass shootings. In 2019, there's been 19 of them in America, the most in recorded American history, not too far from Hill, Gilroy, of course, the tragedy in El Paso and in Dayton. But oftentimes, they find that uh, the person who was the shooter, many times, was radicalized. Radicalized how? Words. Words written, words spoken. And in many respects, we become radicalized. Words that we say to ourselves, words that others say to us. And that's why words are our greatest challenge, perhaps. And that's exactly what James 3 and verse 2 says. And we're going to be looking in James 3 this morning. In James 3 and verse 2, it says, for in many things we offend all. And if any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. In that verse, it simply says that all of us have a, a true spiritual test. It's not how good you sing the songs, although certainly great to sing the songs. It's not how good you look in a suit or a nice dress on Sunday. The real spiritual test is demonstrated by our speech. And so, as we begin this new series, let's dedicate our hearts and minds to saying, Lord, I receive everything your word gives us about this, because I know Lord, I need help in this area. How many would say you need help in the area of your words? Would you just lift your hand? Praise God. What a, that's a great way to start right there. And for those of you that didn't raise your hand, <laughs> uh, let me ask your husband or wife. We'll um, find out the answer to that. But no, let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, we thank you this morning. We're so blessed by the beautiful music. Thank you, Lord, for your word already. Now, Father, would you just bless us as we look into your word. Teach us today. Holy Spirit, amen. James chapter 3, if you would, please. James chapter 3. The book of James, what an amazing book. There were three James spoken of in the New Testament. The first one was the son of Zebedee and the brother of John, the sons of thunder. There was also the son of Alphaeus. And then there was the third James, the brother of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is likely he is the author of the book of James. Now, during our Lord's earthly ministry, James was not a believer. In fact, he and his brothers, sad, isn't it, when you think about it? Great parents like Joseph and Mary, their sons were lost. Crazy. Not only were they lost, they were actually antagonistic towards their perfect brother, Jesus. But somewhere along the line, they got born again. Maybe it was at the crucifixion, maybe it was shortly thereafter, but James became a powerful spokesman for God. He loved the Word of God, and he was also a great uh, zealot for the nation of Israel. 
He was the pastor of the First Baptist Church of Jerusalem, and uh, he uh, was used by God to really establish some real good uh, rules going forward for the early church. He was a great man of God. His theme is one thing to say you're a Christian, but it's another to show you're a Christian. His uh, whole theme was, if you're going to have faith, you need to show it by your works. In the book of James, he talks about lots of things, including suffering. One of the things he spends a good bit of time on is words and our tongue. Now, in Scripture, when it talks about tongue or it talks about mouth, many times it's referring to, in fact, our words or our speech. And so when we read, especially in the book of Proverbs and other places about our tongue, it's not meaning that little piece of flesh uh, that, that's uh, being bathed uh, behind those little teeth that we have there, but it's returning to our words. Now, nowhere in any area of our spiritual life is our faith any more demonstrated than in our speech. One of the main reasons is because we talk so much. In fact, it is said that in uh, even people who don't talk a lot, which most of us talk more than we think we do, but even for those who don't talk a lot, they said that for the average person, they would fill an 800-page book every week. That's uh, 50 books a year. Imagine that. It has been said that we spend one-fifth of our life talking. Why is it that when you go to a doctor, one of the things they ask is, let me see your tongue? And they say, open your mouth, and they put that depressor in there, and they look around, they want to look inside because the tongue and the mouth is an indicator of our physical health. The same thing is true about our spiritual life. I can remember growing up and going to those old doctor's offices and the nurse would come in and she'd go over there to the counter and she'd open up this little jar and inside it would be a thermometer. I don't know why they had to keep it in those, that juice in there. I guess it was like a disinfectant, but it was always taste terrible and it was cold and she'd say, here, Timmy, put this under your tongue. <laughs> I hated those things, but the, uh, the option was even worse, so uh, I'd put it under my uh, tongue. <laughs> she was going to test my spiritual temperature, as it were. And it is something when our tongue and our mouth tells about our temperature. In Genesis chapter 3, it was words that became the first expression of sin. You remember Adam? After he had sinned with taking that fruit, the apple, he expressed his sin by blaspheming God, by slandering God, saying, the only reason I sinned is because you gave me that woman. It was words. It is not insignificant that two of the Ten Commandments, the summary of all our things that we ought to do between God and man, the summary, the ten top commands, two of them have to do with our speech, that of taking the name of God in vain and bearing false witness. When the great prophet Isaiah wanted to confess to God the depth of his sin nature, he said, I am a wicked man. And you may recall, he had had a great vision of the holiness of God. And what was the first thing that he said? He didn't say, I'm a bad person. 
He said, I have a terrible, dirty mouth, God. The King James says an unclean lips, but he was just simply saying, God, I have a dirty mouth. And that dirty mouth was a gauge of his spiritual condition. Now, there are at least three reasons we find in the book of James chapter 3 why we must learn to control our words. Now, we're not going to be able to give all three of those. In fact, we'll just give one this morning. But the very first reason why we must learn to control our words, because of the influence of our words. They are powerful in their influence. Let's all read verses 1 and 2 together of James chapter 3, if you would, please. All right, ready, begin. Let's read it out loud. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Here, uh, God is saying that since our words and our speech is such a mark of true faith, then those who speak for the faith must control their words. Notice what it says in the first part of verse 1, my brethren and sisters, <laughs> he's really referring to every Christian, be not many masters, meaning the words don't become a teacher unless you understand the seriousness of teaching. Now, God is not saying here it's wrong to be a teacher. It's not wrong to want to tell others uh, about Scripture. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, when God talked about being a pastor, or as the word is, bishop there in 1 Timothy 3, He said, those that desire the office of a bishop, it's a good thing. Primarily, the office of bishop is a teaching office. It's a preaching office. And so He's not saying it's bad to preach, not saying it's wrong to teach. He's simply saying is that if you are going to ever teach anybody, now, this is true for a pastor, but it's also true for a teacher. It's true for a parent. Parents teach all day long. And any parent, of course, wants to be a good spiritual leader as well. The Scripture is simply saying here is that understand the seriousness of communicating the Word of God. Be serious about it. Why? Because it says here, they will receive the greater condemnation. Meaning that is one thing to just simply have a problem myself. But when I begin to teach others, I can affect them, and I change them. No man is an island. We don't, people say, well, I, you know, so it's all about me, and I just live my little life. No, nobody lives by themselves. We all affect somebody. There's a new word out there. I've noticed, uh, you know, in the internet, uh, it was bloggers, and then it was, uh, you know, contributors, and now the new word I notice is influencers. Everybody's an influencer, but actually it's a very accurate word. <laughs> an influencer. How many followers do you have on uh, Twitter? If you're an influencer if you have so many. The truth is all of us are influencers. It's been said that even the person that hardly speaks to anybody will influence at least 10,000 people over the course of a lifetime. Think about it. Every person, maybe you go to a gas station or at the restaurant, 10,000 people. We're all influencers. And if we show that we're a Christian, we put a bumper sticker or we invite somebody to church or we ever even simply give them a verse, then we are being a master, it says here. We're being a teacher. And God is saying, if you're going to be a teacher of the Word, whether you're a parent, a friend, an influencer in any way, be careful because 
Because you affect others, you have a greater condemnation. What does that mean? It means I not only have to pay for my own sins, I pay for the sins of my son if I influence him in an evil way. If I influence my daughter in an evil way, I pay for their sins. In a sense, it, uh, there's a condemnation. Now, thank God, if I'm saved, I'm not going to be condemned to hell. But there's a lot of other types of condemnation for sure. Look at verse 2. For in many things we offend all. The fact is we are all depraved. We are all have a sin nature. Every once in a while I'll meet somebody that'll say, I'll ask them if they are a Christian, and they'll say, oh yes, always been one. Well, I'm assuming you're meaning you've always been in church, but that doesn't mean you're a Christian. And some people actually just believe they were born a Christian. No, everybody has to have a personal relationship with Jesus. We are all depraved. That means we all have to be saved. We have to repent of our sin. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But what this verse is saying is not that just that we're all depraved, although it means that we offend all. That's a little verse to underline there. Everybody offends. We all are depraved. But what it's saying is, is that the dominant way in which we sin is our words. We all are depraved. But if you want to know how depraved we are, just listen to our tongue for a while. Have you ever realized how many types of tongues or words God talks about in the Bible? Let me just give you a little list. He talks about the wicked tongue, a deceitful tongue, a lying tongue, a perverse tongue, a filthy tongue, a corrupt tongue, a bitter tongue, an angry tongue, a slanderous tongue, a gossiping tongue, a backbiting tongue, a blaspheming tongue, a foolish tongue, a boasting tongue, a murmuring tongue, a cursing tongue, a contentious tongue, a sensual tongue, a vile tongue, a tail-bearing tongue. That's just a partial list. Did you see yourself in any of those lists? I did. The fact is, all of us have a problem with the tongue. Most problems that we have relate to the tongue. The easiest sin is the tongue, the words. Why? Well, because some sins take money, (laughs) and we don't always have a lot of availability for that money. Some sins take time. But one thing we all have a lot of is we have a lot of words. It doesn't take money to talk. It doesn't take a lot of time. But I'll tell you one thing, we can get right into the tongue sins in a hurry. For in many things, we offend all. The truth is we offend people often. The tone of our words, the look of our face, the words that we say, the timing of the words, you know. Oh my goodness. The fact is we offend. Now some offense is necessary. I mean, if I have to, you know, instruct a child, if you have to, you know, correct something, you know, there's an necessary offense there. And in, in that regard, we offend their, uh, their sin. But this is referring to the fact of our offenses. And the fact is we should always be careful and thoughtful. Did we offend someone? Sometimes it's just good to lay down at night before you go to sleep and say, Lord, did I offend somebody? Did I offend so-and-so? And I don't think we ought to be hypersensitive. But on the other hand, I think we ought to be careful. I remember hearing a pastor once say, and I, for some reason, just stuck in my head. He said, you know, we've talked with thousands of young ladies, young women in the, uh, the particular ministry they were in. They had access to lots of teenage girls. 
young men too, but he said, here's what we've discovered about young ladies, girls, teenagers. They remember every critical word their father ever said to them. Every critical word their father ever said. I happen to remember that little statement this week, and we're talking with our daughter at home there, Abigail, and I relayed that to her, and, and she said, yep, that's true, actually. <laughs> that's actually true. <laughs> and if, uh, if I wasn't already convicted, I was like, okay, great, wonderful. Well, thank you, honey. But did you know it's a scientific fact that every word that we've ever said actually is still around? It's traveling through space. It's a sound wave. According to physicists, if we had the right equipment, we could recapture every word that was ever spoken. Well, the truth is God does have the right equipment, and He can. Words are powerful. Think about this. In Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says God said, let there be light. Now, according to scientists, there is something called the Doppler effect, and that is that the universe is still expanding. Now, how amazing is that? The universe is still expanding. Why is that? Because when God said, let there be light, those words are in the universe, and they haven't come back. I mean, they just keep going. And when God said, let there be light, there just is light and light and light. There are, God's word is His word, let there be light. He's still creating galaxies light years away. Words are powerful. They are around forever. They never go away. There was a man in London who was watching his telly, as they do in England, and a half-hour program came on from Texas. He was, thought it was strange and curious about it. He called the local station and said, um, this, this is kind of a unique program. Did, did you guys broadcast? They said, we sure did. They said, but we broadcast it three years ago. He said, what? Three years ago? And there was only one explanation that they investigated, only one explanation that made any sense, and that is that scientifically, once something goes out into the airwaves, it stays there. And somehow it found its way to that man's receiver. That's maybe why it says in the book of Ecclesiastes, be careful what you speak because a little bird will take it. And he'll find the right place with that. Or it's maybe the wrong place. In verse number two, for in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, if any woman offend not in word, the same is a perfect person, a perfect man. Now, first of all, we might look at that part and say, wait, wait a second, is God asking me and expecting me to be a perfect like Him? Well, of course not. Nobody can be perfect like God. But the word there is actually meaning not perfect like God. It is the Greek word teleos. You might recognize that word. It's the similar word to telestai, which Jesus spoke on the cross. It is to telestai. It is finished. The word finished, the word uh, complete, mature. It's meaning if we want to have a mature, complete spiritual life, then make sure that we're careful with our words. You know, you find people who are new in the faith, and oftentimes it's their mouth that gives them away. Our mouth is 
to be a great example that we are like Christ. And that's why it says in John chapter 7, verse 46, they looked at, they were discussing this pastor, this rabbi, this unique teacher, Jesus, and they were saying, nobody speaks like him. I mean, you got our rabbis over here, but nobody speaks like this rabbi. Jesus, nobody spoke like him because the words that he spoke without error, always on target, with the right amount of passion and with the right amount of uh, emphasis and Jesus, perfect words. Look what this verse says. It says, if a person was able to offend not with their words, the same would be able to bridle the whole body. What? Now, let me see if I get that verse correct. If I would bridle my tongue, it would help my prayer life. It would help me be a better evangelist. It would help me be a better husband, a better wife. You mean it would help me have more faith? That's exactly what this verse is saying. It is saying, if you want to work on your spiritual life, work on your tongue life, work on your words. Because the most dynamic way to work on your spiritual life is to work on your words. Somehow our words automatically control the rest of our life. You know, when you first start driving, you're all worried, you know, am I going to, is this part of the car working? Is this, I mean, there's so many things going through our head. And you tell the person, look, just keep it between the lines. (laughs) Just keep it between the lines. You'll get to your destination. People are worried about this part of the Christian life. Just keep your words right and you will get to your destination. That's uh, just keep it between those lines there. The point is, if we will work on our tongue, it will take care of the rest of our things, of our spiritual life. Our spiritual, uh, our spiritual life is such, a, such an indicator, uh, and our words are such an indicator of our spiritual life. Warren Wiersbe is a great uh, author, a Baptist pastor, great evangelist, and author of so many different books. And uh, I remember years ago, got his uh, expository outlines. I thought it was a, it was a great coup. And uh, then he went on to publish so many books, Warren Wearsby. And he told a funny story, and I related this morning. He had a pastor friend who had a member of the church who was just a notorious gossip. I mean, she would hang on the phone every day, all day long sharing tidbits about this person in the church, this person in the church. I mean, nobody was safe. Pastor, deacons, everybody. They just, she just brought down everybody. Well, one day she came to the pastor and she said, Pastor, the Lord has convicted me of the sin of gossip. Well, the pastor from experience knew that she was not likely very sincere because she had gone through this routine many times only to go back to the same old thing. Guardedly, though, on this occasion, he said, "Um, well, sister, what do you plan to do about your sin of gossip? And very piously, she looked at him and she said, Pastor, I'm going to put my tongue on the altar. To which the pastor calmly replied, I'm sorry, sister, we don't have an altar big enough for your tongue. (laughs) And the truth is, we do need to lay our tongue on the altar. And we do need to put our words at the altar before God. Charles Swindoll, one of my favorite authors, wrote in one of his book uh, this little thing that he found etched on a slate 
tombstone on a hill in the English country churchyard. Beneath this stone, a lump of clay, lies Arabella Young, who on the 24th of May began to hold her tongue. (laughs) And sometimes uh, that is the only time when we get to hold our tongue is when we die. But the fact is we ought to learn to hold our tongue before we die. Amen. We ought to get to that point where we can say, you know what, but God be the glory. I want to live from, with my, my tongue under God's control. And so what it says in Psalm 39 and verse 1, the psalmist put it this way. He said, I said, I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle while the wicked is before me. He said, I'm going to stay on guard with my tongue. But he also said, I'm going to put a double guard on it. He said, I'm going to make sure that I put a bridle on my mouth if need be. I'm not sure exactly what that is meaning, but the sense here is that he was some sort of exterior, external method to keep his tongue in place from yakking out, from doing whatever. I don't know... I must admit, I actually got interested in, uh, my mind goes lots of different places on something like that, and I got to thinking about a human bridle, a human tongue leash, you know, and uh, so I typed it into Google. The fact was, there actually was such a thing. Sadly, though, it's from the Middle Ages, and uh, wow, it's pretty terrible looking, and uh, it's very sexist, so uh, I wouldn't put it up a picture because that's not what we are. But because uh, it was used for ladies, actually. But uh, anyway, I'm nothing, nothing about that. I'm just saying that's what it was. That's the history of it. A bridle. <clears throat> but the fact is, men have as much a problem as women do, for sure. And God is going to give us an illustration here, two of them. First of all, he said, the tongue is like a bit in a horse's mouth. Look at the last part of verse 2. It's able to bridle the whole body. Verse 3, behold, we put bits in the horse's mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. How do you control a horse? You put this little piece of metal in their mouth, and those lips are so sensitive, and you pull back on, you pull this way, you pull that way. It's a bit. Because an unbroken, unbridled horse is basically good for nothing. They just eat and They just run around and do whatever. They are good for nothing. The fact is an unbridled tongue is the same thing. It's good for nothing. God says we need to put a bit on that thing. What kind of bit can we do? I don't know. What what kind of ways can I control my tongue? I remember one father, uh, I read about one father who said he would uh, put 50 cents in a little jar every time he said something mean, every time he said something angry in anger. Uh, sometimes unsensitive, and he, he just had a, he was just such an angry spirit in the home, and he just said, I'm just I'm lashing out at people, and so, <clears throat> boy, it wasn't long before they had all kinds of money in that jar. Folks, I think uh, whatever kind of bridle it takes, well, what kind of bridle can I put in my mouth? Then uh, there is a, a tongue is like a rudder on a ship. Verse 4, behold also the ships, which though they be so great, now, most of the ships in uh, the Apostle Paul and James' time here were smaller, but we know that some of them were huge. Uh, in fact, uh, one of them in the book of Acts, we know was over 200, almost 300 people on it. And they are driven of fierce winds. 
And yet they turned about with a very small helm. Whithersoever the governor, meaning the pilot, the one who was steering the ship, listeth, or whichever way he pulls that wheel. Now, I've been on one cruise. Sweet Polly and I had a chance to go on a cruise, and there's about 900 people on that. And that's a relatively small group, but I will tell you, it was a huge ship. And I mean, when you wanted to go from, I don't know what it was, they put the exercise at one end of that ship, and they put the food at the other end. And uh, I used to think, man, I, I, I had a real hard battle, and we were about in the middle. But, uh, but I always, seemed to always make myself go to one side of that ship, then the other wasn't the exercise, for sure. But um, it was a long ship, big, all kinds of people. But there are much larger ships. In fact, in 2018, the largest cruise ship debuted the Symphony of the Seas, it's called. Royal Caribbean put it out. 225,000 tons, 1,200 feet long. Our frontage from that side of the property to this side is only about 1,100 feet. The ship is larger and lo- or longer than the entire frontage of this church. Can you imagine? 215 feet wide. It has 22 restaurants, 42 bars, lounges, theaters, an ice rink, and a zip line. The, huge, the ship is like a giant uh, city floating along. Unbelievable. And yet that one ship, that giant ship, that amazing mass of steel and everything else is all turned by one captain just turning that wheel. Because a little power applied at the right point is sufficient to control the entire vessel. And that's what it says in verse 5. Even so, the tongue is a little member, yet boasteth great things. And that's what we're talking about today. The reason we must control our words is because of the influence of our words. The tongue is a little member. You would think that just our tongue and our speech, just a small part of our Christian life. I mean, there's so much more to the Christian life, and yet it is our tongues that can be powerful instruments of destruction. They can divide people, and they can destroy churches, and they can hinder relationships and can separate families. They can lead to murder, even war. Just as an interesting thing, I just decided to Google the topic, uh, ridiculous reasons for war or um, uh, silly reasons for uh, war. And it's amazing how many of those wars actually started because the people just started arguing. I have no idea there was a civil war between Ohio and Michigan. Did you know that? It started over a little piece of land. Some people said that. One people said they had a great, ended up having a, uh, several people die. They had a civil war. Oh, man, amazing. Over words. Words are powerful. They bring, they can also be good words that bring great joy and comfort and encouragement. It's amazing the power of words, both for negative and good. And that's what this verse is saying here. You know, I, I, almost every week uh, I get some sort, it seems like every week, and it's always a blessing. Maybe an email, maybe a comment, uh, maybe a little note, uh, little mementos, maybe a little food or a little Starbucks card or a different thing. I, was just, I get these little uh, love gifts and I just love them, every one of them. And it means so much because I've... Uh, 
found out, and I remember reading a statement once that said that encouraging words are to the human spirit what oxygen is to the lungs. And I tell you what, encouraging words are just an amazing help to us. They help people stay in the ministry. They help people stay at the work. They help young moms and elderly men and women carry on, and they just help us get going. Encouraging words. It's amazing how one wisely worded note can fuel a human spirit for weeks, for months. And as we read at the beginning of the message, seven words. Mary Ann Bird, seven words. I wish you were my little girl. Trained, changed her entire life. Encouraging words. I think one of the greatest verses in the New Testament about words is Ephesians 4 and verse 29. I don't know that's on our overhead here, but you can look it up. Ephesians 4 and verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. It would, if lived out, revolutionize our churches. It would revolutionize our families and our workplaces. Look what it says. Let no corrupt communication. The word corrupt there is the word for rotten food. Don't let anything come out of your mouth that smells like rotten food. Amen. Don't let anything come out of it that stinks. Well, I'll tell you one thing. I don't know what it is about our trash in our house, but every once in a while, I open that lid up to throw something away. It may have been sitting there for a day or two. Maybe with the heat, I don't know what it is, but man, it knock you down. Woo, man, you got to get that out. It is stinking. Open that little lid up. Oh, man. And that little lid is, reminds me of our mouth sometimes. Open that little lid and just garbage smell comes out. Garbage smell. Let no garbage smell come out of your mouth. Don't even let it. It says, don't let it. <laughs> I remember Life Training Academy got this wonderful school and our teachers often tell us stories that just tickle your heart and just bless you. One of our, our kindergarten teacher, Mrs. Voyer, I think it was back in the day, she had this little kindergarten girl and she was just a talker. I mean, she just was a talker. Couldn't, couldn't get that girl to shut up for anything. And uh, one day Mrs. Voyer said, why in the world do you talk so much? And she said, I don't know. My mouth just opens and it just comes out. And... Uh, <laughs> let, let no corrupt communication. Just don't let your mouth open then. I don't know what to say, but don't let any corrupt garbage proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good, good things to the use of edifying, that means build up. That word that I just spoke, am I building or am I breaking? I'm either a builder or a breaker. What am I? Am I breaking a spirit or am I building a spirit? Breaking a spirit, building a spirit. Breaking a spirit, building a spirit. Every day, every word I speak is either breaking or building to the use of edifying, building up. Don't let stinky stuff come out of your mouth. Am I building or am I breaking? Now, many people are very concerned about what they eat and probably some good reason for that. They follow a low-fat diet. They uh, make sure that 
the grams of fat going in their body are tracked very carefully. No refined sugars. They limit their caffeine. They make sure if they eat tuna that it's dolphin safe tuna. They're a vegetarian or they're a vegan. They only eat range-free chicken. If it's milk, it's organic. If it's soap, you can be sure it's natural. If it's salt, it's sea salt. And they purchase only beef that's produced without the use of any bovine growth hormone. They cook with olive oil. They make sure that their bottled water is from the island of Fiji only. They are sure to make sure that all of their practices are very, very healthy. And there's probably some benefit to it, I will say that. Now, they're probably a little poorer, but (laughs) definitely probably some good physical benefits. And yet, compared to how careful we are about what comes out of our mouth, they take sometimes no care at all. We care more about a little bit of salt than we do about what comes out of our mouth. Notice what that verse says at the end there. It says that it may minister. Well, I'm not a pastor. Oh, yes, you are. Now, you may not officially be a leader of a church and be an ordained pastor, but you are definitely a minister. It says we all minister. Every day we minister. You wake up in the morning, I'm entering into the ministry. I may minister grace. The word there is the Greek word charis, which means gift. I am going to give a gift. Now, God's grace means He gives things that people don't deserve. Amen? Amen. Amen. And God says, I want you to minister grace. I want you to give good things that people don't deserve. When someone is rude to you, and when you want to give them something else, a gesture or a word or a honk. The Bible says here, minister grace. Minister, you're a minister of grace. I'm a minister of grace. I'm a minister of grace. Every morning I wake up and I, my job is to minister to my wife. Every day I wake up, my job is to minister to my husband. My job is to minister to my children, to my grandchildren, As a child, my job is to minister to my parents. So many children are so self-centered. So many young people, always on their little thing, always got things in their earphone, really don't care about their parents. Minister to your dad. Minister to your mom. Minister to your brothers and sisters. Minister to others. Ministers to saints of God. Ministers to those at work who are even unsaved. Somehow, someway, minister grace to them minister grace to them. Minister. Speak words of grace. Lori Beth Jones is an entrepreneur, business entrepreneur. She's also a motivational speaker. She appears to be a a Christian woman. I don't really know her, her faith. But she said something that I read this week, and I thought, man, that is just really a, it sounds so right. And here's what she said. Not sure how she quantified it, but here's what she said. She said that 40% of our lives are based on prophecies, personal prophecies. 40%, nearly half of everything we do, think, everything that goes on is based on something 
that someone said or something that I said. But I will tell you that uh, I think it's actually greater than that. I think for the large part, many of us function with these things going on in our head, words. Words that we tell ourselves. You know, in sports, <laughs> and it, being a golfer, guys will stand up there and say, they're getting ready to hit their drive. I always hit it to the right. Every time I hit it, I hit it to the right. I always hit a slice. Every time I hit it, I hit a slice. I mean, I hit a slice every single time. They'll say that about six times, and they get up there, and what do they do? They hit a slice. They do it every time. Personal prophecies. We, we live with these personal prophecies. We think, I'm not a very good wife. I'm not a good husband. I'm not a good person. Or someone said that, or whatever. We minister, and we minister death to ourselves, life and death. We're in the power of the tongue. We're not the only ones. We're not, it's not only affecting others, it's affecting ourselves. God says, wake up every morning, dedicate yourself and your mouth to the Lord. Psalm 19, verse 14 said, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. What would happen in our church? What would happen in our family? What would happen in our marriage at work if we would wake up and say, okay, Lord, that's it. Today, I dedicate this mouth to you. I dedicate my mouth to you, Lord. Oh, Lord, my strength, because none of us are going to be able to do it on our own, because I will tell you, stuff happens that's beyond anybody's ability to control your tongue. I mean, it just, and one thing and then another, and pretty soon it's like, Ugh. oh, Lord, you're my strength. And if you blow it, it says, as we said in James, in uh, the tongue we offend all. So just make it right and move on. Don't beat yourself up about it every day, all day long. Just move on. Make it right. Move on. But wake up every morning. Dedic let's dedicate our tongue to ministering grace, being a builder and not a breaker. And may we be like that precious teacher who looked at little Mary Ann Bird and whispered, I wish you were my little girl. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.